Today's gospel is about uh, Jesus calling Levi, um, who eventually became Matthew, um, a tax collector. And as many of you know the story of how the tax collectors worked in the Roman times, the Roman Empire was trying to conquer a country or whatever. And, and then they would select a few people from that country to kind of turn on their own countrymen and collect taxes for the Roman Empire. And the way they did it was kind of a lottery system. You'd be given a particular geographical region, and they would say, well, how much money can we collect from these people? And whoever gave the highest number would win. And then the, um, those people could then collect as much as they wanted and have the full power of the Roman government and army behind them. And of course, they would take far, far more than they were entitled to. And so they extracted a lot from their own people so you can imagine how hated uh, tax collectors were by their own people, their own countrymen. I mean, it's akin to you know Russians invading Ukraine and then some Ukrainians turning and helping the Russians extract money from Ukrainians in order to support the Russian army. Um, and how hated those Ukrainians would be in this situation. Um, so it's it's one of those you know um, ugly type of jobs that. Uh, that some people took on for themselves. Um, and of course, we're here during the fast of St. Mary, and so uh, the question is, what does this have to do with, with, with St. Mary, and, and how is this connected? Um, I mean, fasting is always a time when we look at ourselves, uh, and we focus on our life, and, on, and we focus on our spiritual lives uh, even more, and we, we meditate during the fast of St. Mary on spiritual characteristics. Um, that she had in particular, the Theotokos, more than anyone else. Um, and so the church is obviously trying to tell us to emulate the saints. Chief among them is the Theotokos. Um, and her primary characteristic of following Christ is why we, we read this gospel today. Uh, and of course it reminds us of something St. Mary said when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. She said, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. So, she did just this. She followed Christ. Um, so lots of people, Christ calls all of us to follow him. Um, and this is the calling, it's not just for Levi, it's obviously for us. This, these two words, follow me by Christ, that this is, this is our calling. And it's ultimately why we're created. It's the only reason we were created. So it's the master plan, it's always been the master plan. And we were never intended to live these earthly lives that we do at all. And so someone says, you know, hey, what's God's plan for my life? What does God want me to do? The answer is easy. Be with him, follow him, love him. And the same Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here, it's not here on earth. So this call to Levi is actually a call to all of us, and it's the purpose of our life, and it's something we're called to embrace, to be a part of. And so, the question is, why did Christ ask Levi to follow him? Did Christ need help? Did Christ need, you know, people in order for his ministry to be functional and to work? Do you think Christ couldn't fulfill his own service without Levi, without Matthew, without the other apostles? Does God need us? Does God need me? And so, the beauty here is God's picked these people to be with him, to serve him, to get to know him, to love him. And so these people are the lucky ones. 
They're the ones who got to be with Christ, right there on the front lines, up close and personal. And anyone who serves God in any way are the lucky ones. Right? And we see this in the parable of the 11th hour workers. Right? It's really an unfair parable, right? That the workers of the first hour get paid the same amount as the workers of the 11th hour. There's really no other way to cut it other than it's unfair, which is what the workers of the 11th hour thought. And so you realize that the real benefit was to the people of the first hour. They're the lucky ones. They got to be with the master the entire day. So the saints who get to live their life with God the entire lives are the lucky ones, not the, those of us who come at the very end on our deathbeds and confess and wish we could spend more time with God. And so God wants to give us himself. He wants to teach us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be interns with him while apprentices while we watch him do his craft of saving souls. And so I love this quote. I've read it before, but C.S. Lewis says, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. So ultimately, this is really the only way we can run. And when we try to run on anything other than the Word of God and the fear of God and the love of God, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't. We try to run on material things, and we find ourselves unfulfilled and unhappy. And so life with God isn't about getting things. It's not about you know, getting a good job, getting power, getting wealth, getting some, some kind of success, even getting some kind of service in the church. It's about getting Him. And that's what we get when we serve God and live with God. Not something in the world. Our citizenship isn't in the world. It's about Him, Himself. And, and it's kind of... Um, it's kind of akin to uh, a bride who marries a guy, but she doesn't really love him, right? She loves his money, and she loves his power, and he's very powerful in the community, he has a lot of prestige, and his dad's very famous, and maybe he's very famous. And she loves the cars, and she loves the boats, and she loves the clothes, and she loves the person. That's not love. That just means she loves herself, and he gives her what she, what she wants for herself, whether it be vacations or restaurants or whatever the case may be. And so the other bride just wants her husband. And she doesn't care where they live or how much money they have. She just wants him and wants to be with him. And so our life with God isn't about getting heaven and not getting hell or getting out of hell or staying away from some kind of punishment. Our life with God is to have him with us all the time. Okay, so how did Levi do it? How did Levi follow Christ? It was complete. There was no wavering. There was no back and forth. He just got up, it said, and he followed Christ. I'll read you this quote from St. Therese. She said, I knew that to become a saint, one had to suffer much, always aim at perfection and forget oneself. I saw that one could be a saint in varying degrees, for we are free to respond to our Lord's invitation by doing much or little in our love for Him, to 
shoes, that is, among the sacrifices he asks. Then, just as before, I cried, and I chose everything. My God, I do not want to be a saint by halves. I am not afraid to suffer for your sake. I am only my only fear. I only fear doing my own will. So I give it to you and choose everything you will. She said, I chose everything. This reminds me of what Levi did today. He simply chose everything. And so the most important question of the day is why did Levi do this? I mean, if you think about the story, it's just kind of a weird story. For anyone to just get up off their job and follow Christ is strange, isn't it? But of course, in this case, it's even more strange. Because Levi is a tax collector. What does that mean? He's very calculating. He's shrewd. He's precise. He's thoughtful. He plans out the future. He's scrappy. When, when another country invades his country, he figured out a way to win, to succeed. He's a survivor. He doesn't act on a whim. He thinks through everything. After all, he's an accountant. So I would expect that when Jesus said, follow me, you guys would say, well, that sounds good, so where, where do we live? How much money are you going to give me? How am I going to give money to my parents? How are my relatives going to eat? What about my job? I already collected some taxes. What about the government? What are they going to say? What's the Roman Empire going to do with my records? Who's going to take over my job? I was expecting him to ask Jesus a lot of questions back. But he didn't. He threw himself on Christ. And he just did it. And it's kind of irresponsible what he did. Because he's following the homeless guy who doesn't have any money, who no one really likes, especially the Jewish powers. The guy doesn't have a good reputation. I would not follow this guy. Right? He knows the Pharisees want to kill him at some point. And you're going to give up the best job on earth at that time and walk and follow this guy. And so what would make such a calculating, greedy man so impulsive? Just throw himself like that. So before we answer that question, let's take a step back. How do you think the people of Israel looked at him? Levi. Um, what do you think they did when he walked by? How many people do you think spit on the ground before he got there? How many people do you think tried to spit on him? As he walked by. How many people stared daggers? How many people cursed the worst things possible as he walked by every day of his life? How would that make anyone feel? <coughs> Terrible, horrible, ugly, disgusting, sinful. Do people look at other people like that? Today? Sure. All the time. Unfortunately, sometimes from the, the religious people, we tend to look at other people with that same look. We're better than you are. And so, I want to ask you a question. How do you suppose Christ looked at Levi when he told him to follow you? What could that look have possibly been like that it enticed a greedy man like this to just get up and follow him? What was that look like? I want to read to you another weird story. So this is from St. Macarius. 
When the disciple of Abba Macarius had gone ahead, this is one of my favorite stories, by the way. He met a priest of the pagan. So this is. When the disciple of Abba Macarius had gone ahead, so his disciple went ahead of St. Macarius, he met a priest of the pagans. And the brother shouted after the pagan, O devil, where are you off to? So he told the pagan priest to a devil. The priest turned around and beat him up and left him half dead. And then picking up his stick, he fled the brother. When he'd gone a little further, Abba Macarius met the pagan priest and said to him, Greetings, greetings, you weary man. Quite astonished. The other came up to him and said, what good do you see in me, that you greet me in this way? The old pagan man said to him, oh no, sorry, uh, St. Macarius said to him, I have seen you wearing yourself out without knowing what you were wearing yourself out in vain. The other said to him, I have been touched by your greeting. This is what the pagan priest said. I have been touched by your greeting, and I realize that you are on God's side. But another wicked monk who had insulted me, and I had given him blows enough for him to die, and then the pagan priest fell at the feet of St. Macarius and said, I will not let you go until you have made me a monk. And through this pagan priest, many pagans became Christians. So what did St. Macarius say that converted this pagan priest from being a pagan priest into becoming a Christian, a monk, and a disciple of St. Macarius? He said to him, Greetings, greetings, you weary man. What do you think of that line? Do you think that would change you? If someone walked up to you and said, Greetings, greetings, weary man. Would you leave? You're like, you're right. I shouldn't be a pagan priest. I should be a Christian. Does it seem life-changing to you? But then what happened next? He said, Priest said, What good do you see in me that you greet me this way? Now that's very strange that the pagan priest would react so strongly to greetings, greetings, weary man. And he says, What good do you see in me? And so the old man said to him, I've seen you wearing yourself out and not knowing, without knowing where you are wearing, that you are wearing yourself out in vain. And the other said, I have been touched by your greeting. So this is strange. And this is the same kind of weird story. St. Macarius says a few things, Christ says a few things, and next thing you know, people leave whatever it is they're doing and follow him. So what did St. Macarius have? Much more than those greetings, greetings, weary men. What did he have that made the pagan priest leave everything and follow him? The look. The look that St. Macarius had in his eyes when he spoke to him, and he basically looked back at him and said, why do you love me like this? Although you didn't say very much. It's the look. And then we read, and we continue, that Levi did what? After he followed Christ. Does anyone remember? Just read it. He held a banquet at his house, for all the other tax collectors and said, you have to come meet this guy. So now all the other tax collectors, they're in the same boat as Levi, right? They're getting spit upon. They're hated. They're getting the, you know, the death stares. They're getting cursed. And so, so Levi tells all these guys, you have to come to my house 
and you have to meet this Jesus guy. Why? Because he wanted his friends to get the look. That look of love. He wanted them to have what he's having. He wanted them to see this guy look at them in the eye and love them so completely that they felt their humanity again. Because he knew what his buddies, the other tax collectors, were going through. And this is ultimately the, the, the only outcome of a Christian life. Come, see. You have to see what I, you have to try this. Right? Just like those info commercials, you know, my life has changed, you gotta try this thing. William Choi Kenan, we just uh, canonized the same. There's this beautiful quote, he says, people don't need to hear about Christ anymore. They have heard enough. They would rather you to see Christ. And ultimately, that's the look. The one Christ had, the one St. Macarius had, the one we've read in so many lives of different saints. People don't want to hear any more sermons. They don't want to hear any rhetoric. They don't want to hear a lot of pomp and circumstance. They want to be loved. They want to get that look from others. So Elder Proferius writes, about this look, this book, he calls it Wounded by Love. And it took me a while to understand this title of when the was introduced. And what does that mean, wounded by love? How is that different from guilt? Because sometimes in Christianity, guilt is used as the weapon. Guilt is used as the reason that we need to come to church, the reason we need to do things. But that's not what wounded by love is. I imagine that being wounded by love is what the prodigal son felt. You know, the prodigal son was expecting his dad to do what? Disown him, right? I mean, he even had the line prepared, right? He was expecting his dad to say what? You are not my son. And he had the, 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 the next line prepared, which is, don't take me as a son, take me as a hired hand. Because he rehearsed it, he knew what his dad was going to say. And then his dad stopped him, threw his arms around him, and killed the fatted calf. Can you imagine what the son felt at that moment? Wounded by love. And I can imagine that's what the Samaritan woman felt. And I can imagine that's what the adulterous woman felt before she was, when she was saved from being stoned. And I can imagine that's what the right-hand thief felt when this guy who was, was being condemned for murder or for robbery, for whatever, Christ looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. Everything you are, I love. I love all of you. And so they all experienced Christ's love, and that melted them. And in fact, that's the only thing that melts. St. Macarius has this beautiful quote where he says, if you want to take a piece of steel and you want to mold it into some shape, you can't just hit it with a hammer. It's just not going to work. What do you do? You melt it. You heat it. And once you heat it in Christ's love, it's malleable. And you can form it into anything you want. But if you just try hitting it with a hammer pole, it just doesn't work. And so we all remember the story of someone else who was told to follow him. One of the, one of the monks. St. Anthony heard of the gospel, sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And he did. 
And then he comes up with this line a few years later, I no longer fear God, but I love him. For perfect love casts out fear. So he reached the pinnacle. St. Anthony reached where we need to be. It's not about guilt and fear and hell and punishment. It's about that look, follow me. And so we know that the only thing that propels anyone forward in the Christian life that stands the test of time is not gear, not, not guilt, not fear, not adherence to a set of rituals, not adherence to, you know, we have to preserve the church as it is. These things don't hold up. Fearing God's wrath and punishment, so I'm so scared and so guilty, and I start to hate myself, and I start to loathe myself, and I'm disgusted by myself. That's not the intent of Christianity. In fact, what Christ didn't tell Levi is just as important as what he did tell him. What did he say? He didn't say leave sin. He didn't say you should act righteous. He didn't say do good deeds. He just said follow me. And then everything flows from there. And so fear of punishment is just focused on the negative. And it means that my primary motivation in my spiritual life is what? Saving myself. From whom? From God. And so if all I'm doing is worried about being, is being afraid of getting punished. I'm not really loving God. Am I? I'm just loving myself. I'm avoiding torture. I'm avoiding fire. But that's not the true intent of Christianity. Too many quotes. I'll just read one more. I don't know. This book it says, The soul falls in love with Christ when he gets to know and to follow his commandments. When the soul is in love with Christ, she also loves people. She cannot hate them. The devil cannot enter the soul that is in love with Christ. Like in this hall we are in now, let's say that we are all good. If some bad people showed up at the door at some point and wanted to come in, they wouldn't be able to because that the hall is full of all of us. It is the same way with the soul, where all her space is taken up by Christ. The devil cannot enter and dwell where he tries because he won't fit. There is no room for him. There is no way he can live the true Christian life. So the idea isn't about displacing sin, but rather filling our lives with God, following Christ as he might did today. Let's see if there's anything else. All right, I'll end with this. Another quote from Albert Proforius. He says, How can I say it? Christ is everything. He is joy. He is life. He is light. He is the true light who makes man joyful, makes man soar with happiness, makes him see everything, everybody, makes him feel for everyone, to want everyone with him, everyone with Christ. This, this last quote totally it, it makes me feel like Elder Proforius is staring at Levi today. Everything in this quote is Levi. He's joyful, he is light, he is light, he's the true light, he makes man soar with happiness, he makes him feel for everyone to want everyone with him. And so, today the command of, of Christ is for all of us. It's a decision we make, and it's not a decision we make once, it's a decision we have to continue to make, a decision we continue to renew, Continue, a decision we continue to emphasize in our own lives. Follow me and worry to God forever.